as always, that was good friend of the show uh, and Upper Arlington business person Colin Gow with his song podcast. Uh, thank you, as always, Colin, for the um, very expensive license. Uh, all of our profits were all, pledged. All of our advertising revenues were pledged to this. Um, uh, I am Steve Shoney. I'm the city manager for the city of Upper Arlington. I'm Darren Shulman. I'm the city attorney. And we are doing something. Uh, we're doing a first today. We have one of our city council members with us today. Um, and this is a this is a new thing for us. I would go so far as say I'm trepidatious about our fate. You're just doing that because our first guest is our first city council guest is a pretty accomplished lawyer, and so you tried to pull out trepidatious. <laughs> you like that word? <laughs> and, and be impressive. Um, our guest today is council member John Coolwitz. John, welcome. Hello. Nice hey, to be here. I'm not trepidatious anything about John. John's great, but for the first time, he is directly both of our boss. Yes. So that's why I don't want to like upset our boss. That's why I have trepidation. But John himself is a perfectly fine guest. Yeah. So to our listeners, your one civics lesson for today is that in the city of Barrington, the city council uh, directly hires three people, uh, me, Darren, and uh, the city clerk, Crystal Gonchar. So John is one-seventh our boss. And um, so we're going to no, we're not going to be any kinder to him than we are with our normal <laughs> guests because it's only one seventh, right? Right. As long as we can like pace space out, our <laughs> as, as long as we're as long as we're decent to a few of them. You've got uh, six other votes. We've got yeah. six other votes, and, and so we'll, we, we just got to be careful. So, John, you said you you listen to the podcast fairly faith, fairly faithfully. I do. So he's one of the five. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> him, my dad, him, yeah. your dad, my wife, and then you know. Clearly not a majority of council, um, and so which is why we still have our jobs, maybe. Um, and so you know that we start every interview with uh, our start bench cut, and we actually have we a couple, couple, but we're gonna we're gonna do them in phases. Yes. Um, and Darren's gonna start with the first one. So John, um, you are an accomplished attorney, and I'm an attorney. I geek out because you argued before the Supreme Court, which is sort of the highest thing that can happen in our profession. So I have picked a start bench cut of famous Supreme Court justices. So the way this works is one of them, you're starting, they're gonna, I guess, beyond the Supreme Court. One is kind of maybe kicked down to an appellate court and one is gone. One is one's off. off the bench. One's off the bench. So I picked Warren, Thurgood Marshall, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, RBG. Oh. That, that's I tried to stay away from the current ones because I didn't want yeah, them to listen and be like, you didn't like what I did? You know, so. Boy, that's the problem with all of your start bench cuts choices. They're all very difficult. We want to make you uh, squeamish a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. um, and you can explain your answer to sort of defend yourself when you cut somebody who is great. Just let them answer the question, man. <laughs> I'm, giving, I'm, I'm stalling so we can think. I, I, I start with Thurgood Marshall. Uh, he was such an accomplished lawyer in his own right before he uh, became a judge, both on the Second Circuit and then on the Supreme Court. Um, and uh, what he added to the Supreme Court was, was monumental uh, in our history. Um, uh, a close call, but I guess Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, for the, the second reason, uh, benched. And I, it, it doesn't feel right to, to cut uh, Chief Justice Warren. I mean, he, he was historic. He, he was, in so many ways, the, the model of what a judge ought to be, what a justice ought to be. He is somebody who had a very long career in, uh, in public service before that. He saw the world from many different uh, perspectives, and it was obvious when he became Chief Justice the, the way that he that, uh, influenced his uh, jurisprudence. So um, if, if you have to cut somebody, I guess him by, by process of elimination, but, but it'd be involuntary. 
So, I judge the success of our start bench cut by the uh, uncomfortableness of the person answering. So yeah. I think you, you definitely, I can tell you didn't <laughs> want to do that, which is what we wanted. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and this is the, the, that was the right set of answers for me because I didn't even tell you this story. So um, Thurgood Marshall played a role in me uh, landing my wife, landing, uh, becoming, a role in my wife and I getting together. So the first time we went out, She's like, I don't know you. I don't know anything about you. This is like we're at college. She's like, who's your hero? Thurgood Marshall. Best answer ever. <laughs> when you so get, it worked. When yeah. you get a woman who grew up in Athens, Ohio, asks you who your hero is, just Thurgood Marshall. Best answer ever. She, wow. from, from that point forward, I was in like Flynn. So, um, May I be as fortunate as you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my one Thurgood Marshall story. Well, I, I, that, and that's the reason why he gets to be on the stage. That is that is that is the actual answer why he should be your starter. Yeah, all, the, like, all the legal stuff is doesn't matter. It doesn't no. matter. You it's help the, Steve out. It's the, it, yeah. Well, if, if this podcast can go as well as as, uh, as that, I'll be yeah, a exactly. very lucky man. Um, so, as Darren mentioned, you did argue before the Supreme Court. Um, what was that in February of this year? Uh, March one. March one. Um, so here is your challenge. Um, explain the case to our listeners without costing us any listeners <laughs> because we have so few and we don't want to lose a single person. We don't want to listener. lose a single person. And, and having heard the title of the case, I think this might be a challenge. Well, but what it boils down to is this was an attempt by commercial dialysis providers to use a federal law called the Medicare Secondary Payer Act to claim that they could charge group health plans whatever they wanted to charge them for dialysis services. And it was vitally important because uh, commercial dialysis providers, if unconstrained, charge can charge from $1,000 to $6,000 per dialysis treatment. And if you have end-stage renal disease, you need three treatments a week for the rest of your life. So they're very important. They're essential. Most group health plans cover them, but they can they can consume an extraordinary amount of the group health plan resources to the exclusion of, of everything else. So it was a, a very important case for 157 million Americans, those of us who are covered by employer group health plans, to preserve the latitude of group health plans to be able to apportion their resources among the entire range of health care needs that we have. So that was about as exciting of a description as you can because people assume Supreme Court is like, you know, the issues that get the flashy news. And, and so that is a, that's very important. And I can we judge by the fact that our employer pans are not bankrupt that you had a successful result? <laughs> Well, it, certainly, it, it, what it does is it, it preserves for group health plans. It, group health plans have finite amount, a finite amount of resources to cover all of our health care needs. So it, it, instead of a lot of those being consumed just by, by one treatment, uh, they can, the plans can spread it over the, the, entire, the balance of the treatments. What they do uh, is, is they will reimburse commercial dialysis providers a reasonable amount for their uh, charge. In this case, it was the Medicare rate plus 25%. Um, but but not not just whatever they charged. And, and you won, right? Yes, we, we won seven to two. And it, it was actually it was a big day for Upper Arlington and the Supreme Court. It was a decision came out on on June 21, and there were, there were three lawyers from Upper Arlington that day who won their cases in the Supreme Court. You're kidding! Uh, I had no idea. There, uh, along with me, there was my, my co-counsel Bill Profiter, a, a lawyer that was on uh, Ridgeview. Who, um, he was counsel for for uh, two of the the uh, petitioners along with me. 
and um, and uh, Ben Flowers, our state solicitor who lives in Upper Arlington, he he won a big case from the Supreme Court that day, and on behalf of the state of Ohio. So that that morning it was a big morning for Upper Arlington and the Supreme Court of the United States. So did you guys just like walk around? Screaming O H I O back and forth. And, and they don't get cool medals they can walk around with. No. Result, but. So here's a weird story. I can grab. Did you I, did you wear an OSU hoodie though? Because I know you have a. <laughs> you said that you have a hoodie obsession. Was that what you wore? To, was that what you wore to court? I mean, did you like rock the hoodie? Gray suit and white shirt and gray tie. It's pretty standard. If you are an Upper Arlington attorney in front of the Supreme Court, you need to befriend our counsel president Brendan King, because Brendan called me and said, "Yeah, John won his case." So I called John to congratulate him. Hey, congratulations. John's like, I didn't get an answer yet. So Brendan like saw the future somehow. Do we ever no. figure out how he... Did he Brendan just, King is, is a very foresighted individual. <laughs> he just and like, he told me John won before the decision came out. I don't know how he found out, but... Well, this is just the latest anecdotal evidence in support of the proposition that he, he sees far ahead. Yeah, so... so. Be, be careful. Now they're going to be like, he's going to have investigators on his door about <laughs> about leaks and stuff like that. He's so, Brendan uh, Stradamus. Bre- <laughs> Bre- Bre- Brendan, that was Darren who made that comment, not me. That was Darren. <laughs> so that's really cool, though. Is there any kind of um, fun anecdotes or experience you could talk about in front of being in front of the Supreme Court? What happens? Did you get a weird question or is it scary? Like, What was it like? Because I'll never get there, hopefully, because if I do, that means something bad happened in the city. <laughs> well, you never know, but it, it was a wonderful experience from start to finish. It was very intense experience uh, because by definition when a case gets there it's it's extraordinarily important to, to the nation not only to the parties but but to the nation so there's a lot that rides on it you you prepare a lot um, the um, uh, once you once you get underway with the argument though it, it's just like any other appellate argument except it isn't but but it feels the same rhythm of going in front of any any court of appeals but it's a, it was a, a wonderful experience you know from start to finish I'll give my last nerd question for attorney Alex. Did Clarence Thomas ask any questions? Because for years it was like the joke that like he did not say anything during oral arguments. Is he, did he ask you any questions? When yes. You- yeah. Justice Thomas asked the first question, as a matter of fact, and it was, it was a good question about the about the essence of the of the case. Yeah. So I did actually listen to some because you know I'm not a lawyer. I just play one on TV occasionally, um, but. I, I, I kind of picked up on what a big deal was. And so I listened to some of it. And what part of what was amazing to me was they would ask you a question and you would give your answer. And then you would say, and on page 832 of um, the other side's brief, it says in paragraph three, you know, A, B, C, and D. And I was like, man, that's crazy to be able to retain that on the spot and have to know that level of detail on the spot um so it was just really impressive it was also kind of scary recognizing that um you know occasionally we have you sitting up there on the dice questioning (laughs) us i'm like oh man i need to i need to be up to my i I don't even know what page on the staff report that is (laughs) (laughs) it's a three-page staff report and i can't remember where that where that line is well yeah the the wonderful thing about it was you have have nine justices um, all of whom are extraordinarily uh, smart well prepared they they have each have uh, four law clerks who are uh, likewise uh, highly talented so they come to the bench very well prepared and and it it behooves you if you're the lawyer to to uh, be able to be the person in the courtroom who knows more about the case than anybody else to be able to respond to those questions is there any sort of human interaction or is it like robots where they come out sit down and just launch into it or is there sort of a 
How you doing today? Thanks for coming, sort of thing. It's uh, unlike some courtrooms, the the podium is very close to the bench. I mean, not not much further ordinarily than, than Steve and I are from each other. It's, oh, wow. it's usually like like ten feet. At, uh, back then, it was moved back a few more feet because of, of COVID, uh, just as, as a precaution. But it's it's a relatively intimate uh, setting, uh, unlike unlike some other courts. And you're you're they're slightly above you, but you're not that far. Um, you are closer to the Supreme Court justices than we are in mayor's court and council chambers. <laughs> right, yeah, right, right. Yeah, so it, it, it makes for makes for a very uh, very productive back and forth. I mean, when they ask a question, you 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 have to answer the question, and then you explain, and then you try to go back to the main point that, that you want to leave the court with. And is it safe to say you never yelled at them? You can't handle the truth. <laughs> that's my dream. In it. <laughs> That'd be a fair assumption. <laughs> so, would you want to do it again? Oh, absolutely! I'd, I'd love every 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 minute of the process. We had a wonderful team at the firm too, and it was the most wonderful thing about it was there. Were, there were nine of us who worked together day in and day out for 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 many months. But um, everybody knew exactly what to do. Everybody just rose to the occasion. It wasn't a sort of a situation where you had to ask people, "Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that?" And everybody just inherently knew what it was. And um, the um, just you know, when a case gets to that level, it's it's uh, it, it's so very important, and they they they, uh, they they scrutinize the record down to the down to the you know, bottom detail. So you need to know it as well. And I don't know if people realize this for you non non lawyers listening, but like you just don't automatically get to go to the Supreme Court. You have certain rights to automatically appeal, but they have to accept it as being right. an important issue that they're interested in handling. So. Right. These are a very small percentage of people ever get there. It, it was a, a hugely exciting moment when they granted our petition. There, every year they get about eight thousand uh, petitions for certiorari, eight thousand cases that people request in the hearing. They take about one percent of them, so yeah, eighty, eighty to ninety cases a year. So it was. Uh, the, the, I'll always remember the moment that the email came across you know, and it said petition granted. It was just. It was a. So how much of moment. that was excitement, and how much of that was? Be honest. How much, of, do this. <laughs> how much of it was was there any element of terror in that one that actually came in? <laughs> it would just you know you know what you're up against, and you know there's a lot lot to prepare for. But it's just such a thoroughly uh, inspiring and exciting challenge that it, it, you, you you forget the terror, and you just you're just so um, you can visualize what it's going to be like. So you you just you just prepare for it. I, mean, I guess from my perspective, you always can say you argued in front of the Supreme Court. You don't have to say you won in front of the Supreme Court. No one <laughs> but has, he gets to say won. He gets to say won, but no one's going to fact check it. Yeah, I argue there. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so um, one of the other things that I find really interesting in your bio is you have done um, some amazing things um, in your personal life uh, with swimming. Now, I do have to preface this with a little bit of a confession. Um you uh, you are very passionate about our pools here in, um, in Upper Arlington. And at one point we were talking about John Kulowitz and pools. <laughs> and I got the K and the P <laughs> mixed up, and I said John Pulowitz. <laughs> <laughs> and it might have stuck for a little bit. So this is a little bit of a confessional. Um, uh, but so this gets to my our second start bench cut. So you've swum in some really interesting places. Um, and then I want to talk about these things, but um, your options are, your start bench cut is the Solomon Islands and the PT-109 swim. Uh, actually, I'm gonna, I, I looked up, uh, I didn't know this, but there is something called Deepwaterpedia, 
that <laughs> you are listed on and lists all these kind of crazy swims you've done. Wait, there's a there's a pedia that literally talks about or no, not deep water, open water, open water pedia yeah. uh, for open water swimming, and it has people who do open water swimming and great swims they've done. So anyway, Solomon Islands and the PT109 swim, um, the Bosphorus swim, which sounds just really interesting because I find Turkey fascinating, and Devon Pool. Uh, yeah, so which one? Is so, good? which? Wh- how would you rank those three things? Well, I, I certainly start start with the Devon Pool. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I owe. I'll, I'll answer the question, but I just I owe so much to the Upper Arlington pools because you know, twenty years ago, I I went to Early Bird Swim one morning at the uh, at the Upper Arlington pools, and I was so out of shape that I I had to stop after every lap, and my goal was to just be able to do ten laps without stopping by the end of the summer. And um, I, I made that, but you know, one thing led to another. But none of this would have happened if it weren't for the for the opportunity that the Upper Arlington Pools have made available. So I, all right, I want you to. Fit, I'm going to come back to that. I want you to. Fit, you're trying to get out of my list. You're trying to get out of he your. He ranked Devin number one. Man. He ranked Devin. I know. I know. That's all we really wanted out of this. But we got to get the other two. <laughs> your choices are so unfair. <laughs> the, the um. I guess I'd, I would bench the uh, Solomon Islands swim just because it, it was the more recent. It was a, a completely wonderful experience if, if for, for so many reasons. And then uh, yeah, reluctantly only because forced to the, the, the Bosporus third. But I mean, that, that was just um, an incredible experience too. So for someone, um, me, who is completely ignorant of these things, you know, when you're doing a marathon, you see like the different places you're running. What is different about swimming in one of these different right i mean it's water so yeah. what do you for our listeners who don't swim what what is the difference between the different places you go well so like the the solomon islands swim uh, the solomon islands are about 800 miles off the coast of new guinea um in the pacific ocean and yeah, it, was, it was 75 years ago that president kennedy's boat pt-109 went down there in, in, in the dead of night and he and his uh surviving crewmates they, they swam to a little island that today is called kennedy island so it, we started there we there were six of us we started on kennedy island and uh, after a couple of days, they had to move to another island because there was no food or water uh, on Kennedy Island. So, so we swam to that island called um, Olasana, about about two miles away, and then uh, they swam to another island called Nauru, which we swam to, and then and then back to Kennedy Island. So, so you, you're recreating a historical right event. That's kind of cool. Right. It, it, you know, it, it was really wonderful. And it, it's uh, four of us had fathers who served in the South Pacific during the war, and one of us had an uncle, and or several of us had uncles who, who served in the South Pacific, and you know. For, for them, I mean, th- these were these were at the time young men, high school, recent high school graduates from Ohio, who in many cases had never even been out of the state of Ohio. And then all of a sudden, two or three months later, they find themselves over in Guadalcanal, and um, so it, it's it's very real. And when you when you're on Kennedy Island, which is about the size of the Municipal Services Center here, you you can it's small and you you can feel the presence of these men. They were just like just like us, just ordinary people, um, and it's um, it, was, it was an unusual swim. And when we started, it was very solemn. I mean, most of these swims are, are very you know, upbeat. The, the Bosporus swim, there are 2,000 swimmers from 47 countries on a big boat. Never, it was like being in you know, 12 soccer stadiums around the world. It was yeah. just you know, wonderful. But here, it was, it was, we were quiet. It's very solemn um, uh, uh, because of that. And partly cause, because, um, you know, President Kennedy, uh, it was the, the truest test of his character ever. They, he, when their boat went down in the middle of the night, there, uh, all that he had was his courage and and uh, character to rely on to get these men to safety and and for them to survive. And it was under the most arduous of conditions. So yeah, that was that was just a. Is it uh, is it an event experience. where like 
they or you just go kind of do it self-guided because you know what the route is. We yeah, we, we set it up ourselves. Yeah, with, with the help of some local people there. So it's not like the PT is on December. I mean, you just kind of go and you know what to do and you sit, okay. Right, right. We got a hold of a, of a gentleman over there who helped us put it together. And, and um, we, we got to meet the, the, the descendants. There were, there were two, two, um, uh, two islanders who, had re- who rescued President Kennedy. They, uh, he was on one side of an island. They were on the other side of an island. Just coincidentally, uh, one, one day over there, and they saw each other. And they, 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 had, the, they, they had the courage the time to to be willing to take a message he scratched a message on a coconut um, for them to take back to the to the navy headquarters about 30 or 42 miles away um and the the the, uh, the two rescuers are they're now deceased they were died about um 15 and uh, seven years ago but, but their families are still there and the, the one family came to us to meet us there was this huge boat full overflowing with people with a huge american flag zipping across the water towards us and they they they, they came out and we got to spend hours with them and it was wonderful and then uh, with the other family we went to their village and, and met them and it was just uh, an awesome moment because you think that those those two islanders they they literally changed the course of american history if, if they hadn't rescued president then lieutenant kennedy and his crew um, they, they almost certainly would have died. I mean, they, they were on the—it was the sixth day of their their uh, 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 plight over there, and uh, you know, very little food, no water. They were severely injured, and there, there were enemy aircraft and boats all the time. So if they hadn't done that, it would have changed the course of history. But so it, it was—it was a wonderful experience. Wow, that's pretty amazing. That—that that sounds honestly better than Devin Pool. Um, <laughs> but Devin but, Pool is ranked number one. Yeah. <laughs> so I. What struck me about your answer was I had always just assumed that this was some kind of a lifetime vocation for you that swimming was, but it, it wasn't. No, quite the opposite. I, mean, I you know, it was, it was the summer of 2001, the, the day after the 4th of July, which, which is always the most exhausting day in yeah. Upper Arlington if, if you have children, family, or, or even if you don't. Um, the, the, um, and I, I woke up in the morning was just I thought I'd try it because I felt very lethargic, and I did, and it, was, it just showed me how out of shape I was. But... Um, you know, the, the, our, our three pools here are wonderful. The, the, the people who swim are, are just wonderful. That, that's the thing that really kept me going. You start to meet other people who swim, and it's just it's a wonderful community of people. John, I have this vision of you, like, 2001 being, like, 500 pounds. And, like, <laughs> and you're, like, super skinny now. People haven't seen Because I just have this vision, like, pre-swimming and then swimming. Like, is, it, were you, is that accurate, or are you pretty much the way you are now? Uh, probably pretty much the same way, <laughs> but, but, but in, in much better shape now. So. And I don't think there was any of the theme music from, what was it, Rocky? Was it three or four where he, he fights Drago? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's four, four isn't it? Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, like, is a training montage, too? Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, one thing that you've said about your, um, swimming experiences, uh, and you've said this in council, and I do want, I do want to give you the opportunity to a larger audience because actually more people listen to this than listen to our council meetings. Um, uh, in a council meeting, when we were talking about our revisions to the police station off police offices, whatever you want to call it here in the city building, you did make the comment that our prior offices were worse than um, some of the third world police stations that you had been in and you had been in a lot of third world police stations you do you <laughs> want to beg the question <laughs> yeah. do you want to clarify yeah. you want to price a little bit more um, explanation as to why you found yourself no. in so many third world police stations I, I think I invoked the Fifth Amendment that night <laughs> but, but no, no seriously I, I was um, 
uh, after law, I had a very good friend in law school who was from Zambia, and he told me his aunt was secretary general of the trade unions over there, which got me very fascinated about Africa. So I spent about six months before I be came back to Columbus and started working uh, uh, hitchhiking through Africa, or just on a real low-budget trip through Africa from Cairo down to Cape Town. And a lot of times... Um, at night, uh, you know, the, the, the local police station, is, if you get to a little village or something, the local police station is the only place to, to stay. You know, so I, uh, several several places, put they would just give me a room, and I had a mosquito net to put over me and just stay so there. voluntarily, you didn't have to commit a small misdemeanor to <laughs> get a night in jail or something? No. I, I was free to go in the morning. So. I think... I think John would make a pretty good reality team, like The Amazing Race or Survivor or something like that. I think we need to start submitting uh, John for um, reality TV, like casting things. Because you would, you would make a pretty good, like, The Amazing Race. Or and it'd be like all sneaky, right? They'd be like, ah, oh, John, he can't outswim me to the idol. And then John would be like, boom, idol's mine. I got immunity or whatever. You know? So, um, look, this has been um, – a lot of fun and one of the things that as we said before we started is important about kind of this process and and this podcast that we're doing is um letting folks get to know um our members of council and member just members of our community in general um as people um and uh, one of the things that i've really appreciated this chance to kind of sit and talk to you because i mean you have done some pretty amazing things um so if you what's still i mean your bucket's pretty full so what's still on your bucket list <laughs> there are there are a lot more swims to do yeah. uh, all around the world um I, I love practicing law hopefully you know uh, more good cases so i mean he's arguing before the supreme court he's you yeah. you've been part of you haven't swum i mean you didn't swim the english channel by yourself no. it was part of a relay i mean you right. know, yeah come on right. come on I, you know didn't do it solo you didn't, you didn't do it solo but no i mean you you've uh you've gotten a lot of great things done and it's very impressive so um we um as you know wrap up our podcast typically with two questions um what do you love about ua and what would you change what I love about UA is all that we have to discover here. Uh, um, before I ran for the city council, I thought that I knew the city pretty well, but then I uh, knocked on almost every door on almost every street, and I found a completely different place than I had imagined. Uh, um, we, have, we have essentially three, three dozen different neighborhoods in this space of 9.8 miles. Uh, square miles. They're all different from each other. They're all, they all have their own unique uh, charm and appeal. Uh, uh, it's true from the outside when you look at the homes uh, uh, up close, and it's even more true on the inside when you get a glimpse of the the uh, uh, architecture, the furnishings, the art, the backyard landscapes that, that, that go with their homes. But but the but the most rewarding uh, discovery is, is the people here. I mean, I, every day I'd, I'd come home uh, all stoked up about the people who I had met and, and, and talk about them with Marilyn at dinner. Um, we have uh, there are 36,000 people here. Um, most of them, most of us are f fairly uh, modest and uh, uh, self-effacing. But when you scratch the surface, uh, you find a really wide range of individuals here, and, and person after person who's done uh, remarkable things, or has done, or is doing remarkable things with their lives. So it's a real inspiration to live in a community like that. Yeah, it, it is. Um, 
it's really one of the things that I love about my job is getting to meet the people who live here and getting to really understand them. And it's just, just this morning, I actually had a morning meeting with uh, council member Burris, Michelle Burris at Crimson cup and um, to plug the other uh, locally owned coffee shop, uh, Collins coffee and Crimson cup, both locally owned. Um, but uh, I was walking to my car and, you know, somebody I'd never met before said, Hey, Steve, you know, hey, uh, you know, I'm Bob, just moved to the community, watching everything you guys are doing, how can I get involved, you know, all those kinds of things, and just the... And you said, well, you got to listen to the podcast. I did. I said, <laughs> we're recording a podcast episode this afternoon with um, one of my seven favorite council members, and um, it's going to be awesome. And so uh, that kind of level of interest and then the other thing is the ability to rely on expertise that we have here that um, people give freely and gladly of their time whereas other communities you know just can't just don't have those those human assets within the community it's fantastic people are are very thoughtful and when when you go up to them if you're uh, if you're meeting them in a council member capacity uh, very uh, thoughtful things to say very tough questions to ask They're, it's a highly highly informed very, very articulate uh, community uh, so I think we got some sort of award like we're the eighth most educated city in like the country or something is it? when we were doing our ethics presentation Abby and I researched it we got some sort of like highly educated award and it was like a random number like no. eight you know it wasn't like top five or top ten eight so yeah we're right up there people people 76 percent of the, the people have a bachelor's degree or above in yeah. upper arlington and not that that's the litmus test of, of intelligence but it, it just gives you some uh indication of the dedication to uh, learning and education and uh dialogue that we have here yeah all right the other half of that question is what would you change I hope that one day in the near future we will have a program in UA through which every child will know how to swim by age five. Uh, uh, Drowning is the second leading cause of accidental death among children, so the ability to know how to handle yourself in the water, it's a safety issue as much as it is a health and fitness issue. We have three uh, very good public pools in Upper Arlington. We have a, a fourth one, a phenomenal new pool at the high school and another one on the way at the community center. Uh, so five public pools in a community of 36,000 people was a huge asset. Uh, so we, we have the physical resources to uh, put together a program like that, and I'm confident that we can that we can do it economically and, and time-wise for all of our families. So I hope that one day we will have a not too uh, in the not too distant future we can have a program through which every child in UA knows how to swim by age five. And I think we can. I'm confident we can get there. I think the two things that we're challenged by right now, and we've we've talked about this, um, is you know it's a challenge. It's as with everything, we are not immune to the challenges of hiring staff and getting staff and, and being able to do, um, you know, and not having an indoor pool. So during the summer now, that manifests itself in terms of, okay, what time of day can you right. do swim lessons? And with our staffing the way it is, we're stuck doing swim lessons um, mostly during the day, during the week. And um, that's not – sorry, that's – our finance director calling me in the background. <laughs> so, he just wants to get a cameo on. Uh, yeah, Brent, Brent, here's Brent, your shout out. Brent Lewis, cool. Yeah, Brent Lewis can't find any other way to get on the podcast because there's just nothing he has to say that's that interesting. So he's well, yeah, I think he wants to confirm we have the economic resources to, to do this. <laughs> he's like, yes, we are going to do this tomorrow. We're good. So, on no, the air what I was saying is that we, we're challenged with hiring people. And you know, one of the things we're going to work really hard on for next year is to find ways to make it more convenient 
for families where the parents are working. Right. Um, and, you know, that, that's just something we've got to solve. It all gets a lot easier when we have an indoor pool. Yeah. And because, you know, A, it helps with the times. B, um, not every kid wants to get in the pool at seven in the morning. Or not seven. We don't, do, we don't make kids go in the pool. I don't want to get in the pool at seven in the morning. <laughs> no. Not every, not every kid wants to get in the pool at eight, nine, ten before it really warms up. And I think doing, th- doing whatever we can to ensure that the swim, the learn to swim program is something kids not only have access to but really want to do. I think it's important. I also want to thank you for uh, you and and uh, Marilyn and and your family for also before we had our current Play UA um, financial assistance program stepping up and making it so that if we had um, residents who had trouble paying for swim lessons, that there was a way to do it. And you made a personal commitment to that that um, I want to appreciate. And it was something that. You know, we looked at that was part of the motivation and, and one of the kind of inspirations for us saying, okay, we need to find a way to make this an ongoing revenue stream because we shouldn't have to rely on members of the community to say, hey, if somebody can't pay for this, we want to pay for it. We need to figure out a way to do that. Well, so thank you. It, it, gave, it gave us great joy to be able to do that. And, and by the way, uh, talking about pools, what, what we did with the city of Upper Arlington did the first summer of the pandemic was the, the, a crowning achievement of, for, for the city. We, we were one of the few cities in the area that, that opened our public pools that summer. And it, it took a lot of doing. I, Director McLaughlin and, and Matt Lieber and the, the staff, they had to, had to really um, uh, scramble to make it work, but, but, but they did. And people loved it and but the thing that was just so impressive beyond that was because we were making it up every day because they were making it up every day as they went along there obviously were things improvements to be made and people would make comments why don't you do this why don't you do that and they they would call them in and you come back a day or two later and and the, the city did it so i mean it was government you know being open and responsive to people and doing uh helping people like that and being um uh, working together with people to, to make uh, make it a better community for everybody so it was a wonderful part of it well thank you and one of the things i love about that team is they're they're all super competitive people so like they they heard that certain other communities weren't opening their pools and they're like oh man we're gonna, we're totally going to open our pools <laughs> they say they can, they say can't be it done can't be done we're <laughs> going to do it um, can i ask john one kind of big time question before you you can ask you are you are not just a sidekick here you are you are i'm co-host. not just some other guy you're not just some other guy <laughs> um, so you, know, you you can feel free to ask whatever question now the question want. is built up it's not that great but uh, you're our first council member on the show you mentioned constituents talk to you about stuff what is the best way that you would what would you prefer what's the best way for a constituent to get a hold of you email phone call knock on your door two in the morning i mean what, which way would you like to kind of emails or, or, or phone are best you know what i tell you, the ideal combination is if somebody sends an email and they have their phone number in it because if it's something that we can i can respond to by email i will but if it's something that it's better or more constructive to talk about by phone i just pick up the phone and, and call so and I, I i love i love getting those I mean, that's that's the essence of, of the job to be able to, to you know be the, inter, the interface between the, the community and and our, our city government here. Yeah, council, people view councils being like this, oh, they're up here, but all seven of you are very approachable and responsive. And I don't know if people realize that. If you have an issue and you wanna communicate with council, they can shoot you an email. You can email our council clerk and she'll send it to you, but you're all very 
approachable and, and don't mind talking to their constituents. Every every single member of council is like that, um, to the point where I, one person I remember a year or two ago had sent an email to all of us and. And um, by the time he and I spoke, he said, boy, I sent an email, and you're all calling me and writing me. <laughs> so I mean, p- people want to be responsive, and I think it's, it, it's, it's all, I hope it's helpful within the city government to understand what, what people are, what their priorities and needs are, what, what is going right, what's going wrong, and, and, and vice versa. There's a reason that everything is the way that it is or is the way that it could be, and uh, it, that communication is very helpful. Well, and the most important thing is uh, on the what would you change – this, this is the most this important. One, this one matters. This one matters. Um, you did not say the city attorney or the city manager. <laughs> so um, thanks for um, taking yet more time out of your uh, out of your business schedule to kind of help out the city and be on this podcast. Although I don't know if this is really helping out the city, but being on the podcast. Um, and thanks for continuing to serve in our community. Well, thank you for having me today, and thank you to the people of Upper Arlington for the opportunity to serve you and our community. I respect respect and appreciate it very much all right that was council member john pulowitz i mean pulowitz <laughs> uh, <laughs> on the podcast today thanks john thanks, thank john. you